Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and frontline workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I am your host, Lindsay Foss. If you are new to Behind the Line, what you should know about me is that I am a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy. And after over a decade working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I've become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real-life behind-the-scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. I am so grateful to have you here with me, and I want to take a moment to really thank you for letting me be a part of your journey. I know that your time and energy are limited resources, and you could spend them in a lot of places. It means a lot to me that you choose to spend some of that time here with me. We are continuing in a new series around what to look for and be aware of as professionals more exposed and more likely to suffer from things like PTSD and related occupational stress injuries. This comes after so much feedback that I hear about first responders and frontline workers getting a lot of lip service advising to be on the lookout and conscientious about the risks for stress-related impacts of the job, but then aren't given any information or tools to help know what the hell to actually be looking for that would let them know that they aren't okay until they are so not okay that the wheels have completely come off and course correcting is way more work than it needed to be. Our goal in this series is to help equip you with warning signs. I want you to know the things to be noticing and on the lookout for. I also want you to have this resource to offer to your people, your spouse, close friends, or family members, so they can know what to be on the lookout for because they are often the ones who will see it first. And along with all that, I want you to be equipped to be an ambassador for change within your workplace and to have what you need to help notice warning signs in others you work alongside to give them feedback and support them in seeking what they need before it is so much further down the rabbit hole. We want to catch things early Like any disease, the earlier we catch it, the more options we have to treat it, and the less invasive the treatment needs to be. When we don't know what to look for and let it persist way longer, unchecked, the consequences can be so much more catastrophic, and working back from it is so much more difficult. It doesn't have to be that way. If we can help to catch it early and intervene when it's not too far gone, The process is not so hard. This is exactly why I built tools like the free downloadable Beating the Breaking Point Indicators Checklist and Triage Guide, which, if you haven't gotten it yet, go to our website. The link is in the show notes. And grab it. The checklist helps you to self-assess early indicators for things like burnout, 
compassion fatigue, PTSD, and occupational stress injuries. It's a really powerful tool if you use it on a semi-regular basis to track where you're at and notice early on any changes in your wellness. Among the indicators that the checklist tracks, one of the key symptoms associated with stress-related injuries is a phenomenon called dissociation. If you're not familiar with the term dissociation, let's take a minute to break down what it means. Dissociation is a neurophysiological tool your brain uses to distance itself from stress and overwhelm. It's adjacent to numbing. It's our brain checking out for chunks of time or to varying degrees all of the time. The dictionary definition of dissociation is the disconnection or separation of something from something else or the state of being disconnected. Now, it's important to know that everyone dissociates. Everyone has experiences where they check out mentally. Whether or not you dissociate is not in and of itself an indicator of a problem. It's a human mechanism to manage a world that can be inundating, and it's our brain's way of managing the flow of energy it's expected to dedicate to interpreting and interacting with all of the things. When we talk about dissociation, we talk about it on a spectrum, from mild and fairly typical to severe and complex. On the mild end of the spectrum, and what is in keeping with normal human experience, is things like watching TV and zoning out to the point that you don't know what's happening in the plot and have to backtrack a bit to catch up with what's going on, or ask someone next to you, what's happening? Another great example is highway hypnosis, and that feeling of getting to a destination, but not really remembering the choice points involved in doing the drive. So What are we looking for when dissociation is going beyond normal coping into problematic? What should we be looking for? Well, one of the markers may be less about whether you miss the plotline in a show and more about the frequency with which these normal level dissociative experiences are happening. To disconnect and zone out once in a while is one thing. But when it's happening on a daily or near daily basis, that's a sign of a problem. So one of the things to be looking for is normal, mild level dissociation happening at a frequency that is increased. Do you find yourself reading and rereading and rereading again the same three sentences of a book when you used to be an avid reader? Do you have difficulty keeping track of steps in a process? Do you walk into a room and forget what you were there to do? Now, some of these things can be associated with distractibility, like having a lot on our minds, as well as with aging. And true story, those can be legit reasons to forget why you're in a room. But sometimes people mistakenly chalk up some of these early indicators as getting older when in fact they're symbols of stress taking up more space in our minds and our brains trying to quash the impact of that by tuning us out a bit, because we aren't doing the shit to help make it better more actively. 
If you used to be a decently present person and you're noticing or are getting feedback from others that you seem more checked out than you used to be, that is some solid feedback to listen to. More moderate level indicators are struggling to be present in conversations with loved ones, needing to ask for people to repeat themselves multiple times to get what they're saying, having people repeat your name multiple times to get your attention, excessive mindless scrolling, feeling like you lose time, maybe minutes or even sometimes hours where you can't account for what you were doing or thinking. Some have difficulty feeling present in moments, like they're there in body and can see their kids' joy on Christmas morning, but can't bring themselves to feel a part of it. And on the severe end of the spectrum, people will lose significant chunks of time that they can't account for. Often people who end up in this end of the spectrum have experienced such severe trauma over such a prolonged period of time in their lives that their brains have taught themselves to segment off into parts. And this shows up as something called dissociative identity disorder, which is the terminology used to refer to what was once known as multiple personality disorder. It's a very real experience that I work with in my office on a regular basis. This degree of dissociation is virtually always in response to very early experiences of incredibly significant trauma that is frequent and typically unsupported. It is the brain's only way to cope and function, to parse itself into segments that can exist in and face demands from different parts of life. Now, DID, dissociative identity disorder, is a bit beyond the scope of what we're going to try to tackle today, but I bring up this end of the spectrum because I don't think it gets enough attention, and because I think it's more prevalent in helping professionals than anyone actually knows about. Behind the Line is sponsored by Beating the Breaking Point. Beating the Breaking Point is a seven-part online training program designed specifically for first responders and frontline workers and tailored to fill the gaps in your training to support resilience and sustainability. Whether you're new to the work and wanting to cultivate tools to prevent burnout, compassion fatigue, and related concerns, or you are deep into your years on the job and have gone a few rounds with burnout and other mental health challenges, this program offers the foundational pieces you need to support personal and professional wellness for the long haul. You are a helper. You love your work and you sacrifice a lot. Investing in you and your sustainability is the best gift you can give yourself and those who lean on you. We make this program as risk-free as possible by offering a limited money back guarantee to ensure that it's a fit for you. If you enjoy Behind the Line, you are going to love this program. Google Beating the Breaking Point Lindsay and find everything you need to get started or use the link in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. While I can't speak to this from a quantitative research perspective, anecdotally, I will say that so far, every single client I have ever worked with who has dissociative identity disorder 
works within first response and frontline work. And it's not that first response and frontline work makes someone more at risk for DID. I actually theorize that the relationship goes the other way around. I tend to believe that people who experienced significant wounding in childhood develop into adults who want to make a difference and help to make the world a better, safer place than what they got to experience. I also tend to think that kids who grew up in extreme trauma are extraordinarily well, unfortunately, equipped to exist in high stress and traumatizing jobs. It's normal for them. The distress is a walk in the park for their nervous systems that have trained for this their whole lives, literally. So if you're hearing this and see yourself in some of what I'm describing, know that you're not alone and likely are in way better company than you might imagine. We will try to come back to this topic down the road, but I do want to say that if this is a piece for you, reach out to a really experienced trauma-trained therapist. Okay, so for our purposes today, we want to tackle early indicators of dissociation that is in the mild to moderate end of the spectrum in an effort to catch it early on and intervene ASAP. Again, if you want a tool to help you assess, go get the free downloadable checklist. You can access it from the link in the show notes. We've talked about what dissociation is and some examples of mild to moderate indicators. If you hear these and see yourself in them, then what comes next? What do we do about it? Well, first we need to acknowledge that this is a result of stress. We have to name the problem for what it is and stop treating it like aging or making excuses for it that keep it persisting and unchecked. If we are acknowledging that stress is playing a role in shaping this, we then need to explore what our brain and body is needing from us to help recalibrate our nervous system so that our brains don't have to rely so heavily on dissociation to do the regulating for us. Essentially, dissociation is our brain's way of saying, you aren't doing anything to help us manage all of this. So I guess we'll have to take you offline for a bit to manage it for you. If you don't want your brain checking out on your behalf, you need to be an active participant in intervening and supporting your nervous system so your brain doesn't have to go to these measures to handle it for you. So that brings us to how we support our nervous system. If you are a loyal listener, these won't be shocking to you. We talk about them often. It really comes down to simplifying, creating, and connecting to safety. If stress is what builds us to this, we need to focus on simplifying what we have the capacity and control over simplifying to reduce additional stress wherever possible. Now, I get that life doesn't make that easy. Stress is around every corner, and adulting brings all kinds of unexpected demands and surprise curveballs. But it's really about trying to help our nervous systems have a counterbalance to the up by giving it intentional, carved out, and dedicated times for down. 
In times of particularly high stress where we have limited time and control, it can be as simple as feeding your body well and regularly. Basic needs like nutrition and ensuring our bodies can be fueled predictably lets our body know it can trust us to do the basics to care for it. But when we skip meals and feed it junk, it learns it can't even rely on you for the most basic of needs. Beyond the basics, it can also be things like taking time to breathe and reducing muscle tension, getting to bed a bit earlier, activities like crafts or hobbies that feel engaging in a really nice way, singing or listening to music you love, moving your body, and the very best one, play. Intentionally setting time to engage in these activities can help give your body what it needs so it doesn't have to rely so heavily on dissociation to manage. Engaging in these routinely can be preventative to reduce risks for dissociation and can be responsive when dissociation is already cropping up. In addition to these pieces, engaging in very active mindfulness is another important way we can help shift out of dissociation, especially if dissociation has been creeping up in frequency and going on for some time. As our brains use the tool of dissociation to cope, it becomes increasingly habitual. It becomes the go-to skill set. To undermine this, it's going to take some effort and consistency. And the tool to use is grounding and mindfulness skills that force your brain back into conscious presence rather than permission to check out. Mindfulness tools like 54321 and the Alphabet Game can be great ones. If you don't know about them, check out Season 2, Episode 37, when we did our main mini-series and covered these tools. For the video, check it out on YouTube. I'll link to it in the show notes. Other ways of engaging in mindfulness include describing an activity that you're doing in detail while you're doing it. This forces your brain to really be in the moment rather than checked out. It has to be to describe it. In conversations with others, using active listening skills where you say back what they've said to you can be a helpful way to keep your brain in it rather than tuning out. Really, anything that's encouraging your brain to be connected and engaged with the moment you're in helps to retrain your brain to stay rather than go off into la-la land. As we practice these skills in combination with giving our nervous system what they need to trust us with the capacity to help ourselves so our brains don't have to intervene so much on our behalf, we can move from relying on dissociation to relying on our own awesome regulation skills to keep ourselves okay and in a zone that can interact with stress without needing to run away from it. As we wrap up for today, I want to remind you to please reach out and connect if you have any questions or feedback. You know I love hearing from you and shaping this podcast to echo your needs and interests. I love hearing about what you're working on and how you're using what we talk about on the show. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Lindsay A. Foss, where you can follow me or tag me, or you can email me at support at thrive-life.ca. To those who love this podcast and share about it with those you know, I want to continue to say a huge thank you. 
I so value you helping us to make a difference for other frontline helpers who risk so much to serve our communities. Know that we can be found online on our website, on most major podcast platforms, as well as on YouTube. We make all of our resources available to you because the work you do matters. But more than that, you matter. And we want to make sure that you have what you need to keep up the good work at work, as well as in your real life outside of the work. So use it and share it. And until next time, stay safe.